Hi there, and welcome to episode 25 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Larson, along with... Cricket Lou. Good to be back. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we say that every time now. How long has it been since our, since our, since our last episode? Uh, oh, I just looked. What was it? What did, uh, Sometime in August, I think you said. Yeah, it was the very end of August, so like the very end of October. Oh. We're in this depressing... Uh, Every two month pattern. Yeah. Well, it's better than better than giving up on it. I think. That's right. All right. Well, so uh, I think we're going to do what we threatened to do in the last episode, which is have a lightning round. Yes. Courtesy of one uh, one message from Jorge Fabregas, right? Yeah. So who sent us? Let's see, what nine? Is it nine in here? <laughs> there are. Although I think in his next message, I think he said uh, an up. He updated nine, so it, yeah. it's still nine, uh, but but it's two spread across two messages. So should we get going? Should we reach into the mailbag and and start up? Let's let's do. All right. Do you have the mailbag there, or do I have it here? Uh, oh, oh, right. Uh, hold on. Uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take some literal mail on my desk. No, no. What am I saying? Oh, how's that? Wow, that is quite a mailbag. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read Jorge's first question. Jorge says, "Dear Mr. DNS, I hope you are enjoying your summer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now autumn. And while you're at it, here are a couple of questions that I've been gathering for a while." I, I imagine that Jorge's first language is Spanish because a couple of questions is two. Yeah. <laughs> so his first question is, we recently heard that ICANN approved the expansion of new TLDs. There has been a lot of controversy regarding this decision. Could you please summarize both sides of the debate? And finally, could you please share with us your opinion? This is kind of a third rail <laughs> topic, isn't it? I was it? just going to say, yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, that it, it, it's my position in all of these podcasts that, that this is, uh, you know, something that I do... Um, independent of my employer but let me make perfectly clear here that you know these are only matt's opinions and anything i might say on this topic has nothing to do with with verisign right uh because of say the third rail nature that uh that you mentioned sounds good so caveats in place well i don't know <laughs> I, I, so that that being said i don't know i i think it was probably inevitable right um yeah yeah I mean, we've seen, for example, limited expansions of the top, uh, limited expansion of the top level uh, domain name space. We've seen, you know, sort of oddball stuff like dot travel and dot museum and and uh, and things like that. And it seems odd that we would, you know, favor those few industries who have new TLDs and and not open it up more broadly, right? Right. And and let's face it, um, I, I just Verisign's earnings call was today, so I can tell you that the number of names. In .com and .net combined. Actually, would you like to guess what the number of names in .com and .net combined is? Well, I, I remember I read just recently that .com was approaching 100 million, um, and I know that .net is substantially smaller than that. Yeah, so, .net runs about 10%, so it's 112 million total. I don't know okay. what the breakdown is off the top of my head. I don't know if .com has passed 100 million or, or not. Okay. So, so the point is... A very large zone is is possible, and we have an existence proof that that it can be done. Right. Um, so, you know, the root zone is not special in in that regard. Uh, administratively, it's much much more complicated. Uh, I know we've talked about that in past episodes. How 
how changes managed to get in there and the fact that there are different root operators so there's not a single organization running all the servers so there's some coordination issues but the point is it's got uh, on the order of like 280 some uh, names right now delegations right. right you know there's room for I dare say you could have a couple more orders of magnitude and the current system would not break a sweat oh easily easily yeah yeah so uh, so there's 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 plenty of capacity so you know from a technical standpoint there's there's just really no reason not to do it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know that one of the things that Paige my wife says is that um, it, it's going to be confusing and that it's going to be more difficult to recognize a domain name sort of out of context if you don't have um, that cue, you know, that it ends with one of these familiar sort of two or three level, uh, three, three letter la- uh, labels. Yeah. And in fact, I've heard uh, anecdotal stories that when there was that first expansion and you gave some of the, some of the examples of generic top level domains, I want to say it was like 2001 when we got that list of seven, you know, dot uh, info, dot yeah. museum, dot you know, all the, all those, right. uh, dot un- arrow. until <laughs> you dot arrow. Oh yes, lest we forget. Yes. Uh, but until then, there were no TLDs that were longer than three characters. Right. So what the poor folks at dot info in particular found out, just because that was one of the more popular of of those, was that uh, there was baked into a, a non insignificant amount of software. This assumption that oh TLDs will never be more than three characters. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know who who I, I think we're past we're past that. But I, I agree with Paige. It, it is going to be confusing because well, there's going to be you know dot this and dot that and is that a new TLD? And I've never heard of that. And oh look now there's a dot Walmart and you know I mean it's going to be mm-hmm. you know because there there's the potential to have thousands of these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. If if not more, I mean, I think that the thing that um, is sort of holding back the expansion right now is is some of the toing and froing between ICANN and other organizations, right? Uh, I don't know that it's that so much uh, as there's just a lot of process involved. It, it's mm-hmm. very it's very time and process intensive for all parties, both for the applicant and for ICANN. Well, I mean, we, we don't have any track record yet but based on what's in the applicant guidebook uh, and, and and how everyone has talked about the process it's it's very clear that it's going to be uh, a long and expensive process to apply for a TLD it's not just like you know you s- submit a form or two and somebody says yeah that looks good and away you yeah. go you know no no much much more than that right right and it's, so it's, that's it's a, a built-in rate limiter yeah. yeah it's expensive just to file the application right yeah, it's it's uh, it is it's one sixty five or one eighty five thousand U S dollars. I think that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, can we say we've we've sort of narrowly averted the electric rail with that one? I hope we have. Uh, <laughs> I'll see if my badge still works on. <laughs> that's right. All right, so number two, are we going fast enough for this to be qualifying as a lightning round? I, I, I think we're going to have to speed up. <laughs> All right, number two, are there any A records in the root zone? Well, you would know better than I, but I can't think of any. Well, it's sort of a trick question. If we mean, so I, I assume oh, what he means is. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. that are not glue. Right, right. Non-glue right. A records, right. Yeah, and, and the answer is no, there are, there are not. Yeah, okay. But there are, of course, uh, glue A records in the root zone that are necessary yes. to complete the delegations that are there. Right, and a bunch of quad A's as well. Right, right, Exactly. Exactly. Many, many TLDs have at least one quad A. Yep, yeah. All right, so I get number three. 
Yep. What is the idea behind returning an SOA record under the authority section when you get an NX domain response? Well, I've explained this uh, to people that it's it's sort of like saying, well, it's not sort of it. It is saying the responding name server says, hey, that thing you're looking for doesn't exist. And by the way, here's where it doesn't exist. If it did exist, it would be in this zone. And I'm telling you the zone by virtue of giving you the SOA record uh, where it doesn't exist. Right. And, and moreover, since they sort of repurposed the last field in the SOA record exactly to become the negative caching TTL in what, RFC 2308, um, you also need that uh, SOA record to determine how long you can cache the fact that the domain name does not exist. Right. Yep. Okay. All right, number four, regarding the dot at the end of a fully qualified domain name, is it really a separator between the TLD and the root zone, or does it actually represent the root zone itself? This is like, it, it, this is like one of those if a tree falls in the forest type questions. Yeah. I, I would say... It, it, Speaking, I, I would say pedantically, <laughs> that the, the root zone technically has a null label, a zero length label. So if you ever see a domain name written that ends in a dot, the dot is there uh, to signify that final separator. But of course, the null label is not written, if that makes any sense. I would agree completely. I, I think that it's a separator. And, and therefore, when you see a freestanding dot to indicate the root, what you're really seeing is a separator and that null label. Would you buy that? I, I think so. I think that's that has to be what that represents for consistency's sake. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Did, did I read that one or did you read that one? Uh, I, you, you read that I one. read it. You're, you're doing odd ones. <laughs> now we're falling all over ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number five, on a server doing virtual hosting, that is hosting mo multiple websites using the same IP address, what are the best practices for handling pointer records? If I have 400 sites, should I have 400 pointer records pointing to their respective domain names, or should I just create one pointer record and point it to a generic name under my domain? Well, I, I would think the generic solution because, uh, I mean, are there? I'm trying to think of a case where there would be some application that would care about the specific name yes. that a website web server that is uh reverse maps to this you know now if this were a mail server be a different story potentially right or if it were a, any kind of a, a client sort of connecting to other things you might expect uh that its ip address might be reverse mapped to do some sort of a check or logging or, or what have you but as a as purely a server it seems less likely that the reverse mapping for the particular ip address would have to match you know any particular domain name that forward mapped to that to that web server. Yeah, so I think we, we go with generic and, and don't bother with 400 PTR records. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is if you put 400 PTR records on a single uh, uh, on a single domain name, uh, you're, you're going to blow up a DNS message, right? Yeah, even with 64K, yep. uh, you're going to hit that limit eventually. Yeah, uh, you know, you're going to cause yourself operational problems, um, you know, with truncation and, you know, fallback to TCP and all sorts of things. All right, number six, what's the deal with PTR records? If I also control my whole IP range, should I have one PTR for every A record that I have? I read recently that there aren't any internet standards requiring it, but that some applications may call for it. For example, mail servers should have one as many mail, transfer ag uh, mail transport agents validate that. 
is this the norm regarding PTR records? That is, should I use one just when there's a need for it? Ooh, that's a that's a stylistic question, isn't it? I mean, there are certainly cases where you really do want to have a pointer record. Um, you know, as as Jorge points out, you know, functionally, if you've got an MTA running at a particular IP address, you probably want to have a, a pointer record for that IP address so that uh, so that your MTA passes various checks. Um, when it's sending mail to other MTAs. But, you know, how about for some arbitrary client on your network that might, may have uh, an Internet routable IP address? Is there any reason to do that nowadays? I don't know. I, I confess I, I've never been able to muster much enthusiasm for PTR records in general. Oh. Um, <laughs> does that I make see. me a heretic? <laughs> But well, that being said, I, I just like the next person like it when I do a trace route and uh, see names instead of IP addresses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there are informational reasons to do it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I really think you nailed it when you said stylistic. I think it really boils down to uh, kind of what kind of a person you, know, you are. You know, if you're an obsessive type person, it would make you feel better to have a PTR record for every IP and and have it mean something, uh, you know, then go ahead and do it. But if not, then just do it for stuff that needs it or it'll break. I think in, in, in that the interesting thing here is that you and I are both sort of borderline obsessive, <laughs> and yet you said you don't care about them. I, I know. I, 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 I can't say anything. It's just, it's just a contradiction that I live with. Yeah. All right. All right. So here's another kind of theoretical question from Jorge. Jorge is doing a lot of navel gazing in this uh, in this message. He says, why are domain names created from right to left as opposed to the more natural left to right used in many other places like telephone numbers, newsgroup names, file system paths, etc., where they all go from the more general on the left side to the more specific on the right side? Is there any technical or legacy reason for this, or was it just a matter of personal taste from whoever was designing it? Here I would have to point out the, uh, it's kind of a, a, a large um, a large counterexample, which is our names. <laughs> you're That's not true. Larson Matt, unless unless you're Chinese. Um, you're, you're Matt Larson, Matt of the Larson family. But what do you think? I don't know. This is back in the, in the midst of uh, the, the mists of time, dawns of time, mists of, what's the what's the expression I'm looking for? Yeah, here? lost in the mists of time. I think that's there. That. We go. All right. Um, I, well, I'm trying to say it. You happened in the early days. Uh, I I I don't know. I just have no idea. What was the deal? Weren't there names? They weren't necessarily domain names at that point, but in .uk, and they were backwards from our current convention. Oh yeah, the old CSNet stuff, right? Is that what that was? I think it was. I think it was CSNet, and there was, there was at one point, ages ago, um, a gateway between um, the ARPANET and, and CSNet. I think. I think it was CSNet anyway, and it used to have to, the gateways used to have to invert the domain names as they passed passed across the the interface between the two networks. Weird, huh? Yeah. Now we're just showing I, our age. Yeah. That you know, a long, a long time ago, in fact, even even I believe prior to um, the sort of original uh, Paul Macapetris uh, authored RFCs on on DNS, there was another RFC which actually laid out the structure of the namespace, a precursor uh, uh, RFC, and I think it actually specified um, 
you know, sort of left to right, uh, most specific to least specific. Yeah, no, I, that, that's news to me. I don't, which is sort of embarrassing if there is such a thing and I'm not aware of it. I, just 882 and 883 are the first one. Well, of course, I mean, I know about there are early RFCs that talk about hostname syntax, obviously not in a DNS context, but in the context of like host.txt. Yeah, this was even prior to that. And I believe that it was one of the co-authors to the RFC was a graduate student from, from Stanford, if I remember. And, and when, when Paul wrote the original RFCs, he used the sort of, you know, hierarchical, um, you know, multi-label domain name structure that they'd set out in, in this in this other RFC. I can find it if you. <laughs> Do I need to vamp you, for a while? Or? If you if you tap dance for a little while, <laughs> no, you may as well go ahead and read the next one. All right, all right. Number eight: A stub resolver asks a DNSSEC-aware recursive name server for a domain. If the data obtained by the recursive name server didn't check out DNSSEC-wise, why does it still return the data to the stub resolver? At present, the stub resolver needs to decide if it will take the data or not based on the returned AD flag. My question is, should the decision be made at the recursive name server and thus return NX domain or something similar to the stub resolver? Wouldn't it be better security-wise? Hmm. Interesting. Well, the, the answer here, however, is I think Jorge doesn't have it quite right. He's is, Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no decision made based on the AD flag, right? Right, in, the, in that if, if something doesn't validate at the recursive name server, you don't see the data. You get a, a server failed response. Exactly, exactly, which makes more sense than NX domain. You could cache NX domain and think it doesn't exist rather than, you know, there was some sort of a validation failure. Yeah. Now, now you, well, we should say that the, a, the AD bit is the... Uh, authenticated data bit, and that indicates that uh, it, it passed DNSSEC validation, that right. um, you know the recursive name server was able to, to validate it. Uh, and, and then we should also mention the other DNSSEC flag in the DNS message header, which is relevant to this question, the CD flag, the checking disabled flag. Right. And that's set by the querier, and, and that's how you tell somebody upstream that you're going to do validation yourself. So in this case, uh, or not, I shouldn't say in this case, but in, in that case, as it were, if you're doing validation at the stub, by setting CD, you're saying to the recursive name server, just give me all that stuff, even if it doesn't validate. You know, in fact, you don't even have to validate. Just just right. give it all to me, and I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. I'll, I'll figure out whether it validates all by myself. Yeah, we, we just uh, chased down some interesting uh, bind behavior regarding, regarding CD where, you know, bind does some really interesting things, you know, when it's configured to use a forwarder and you have, you know, DNSSEC enable turn, turned on, um, then it does actually on the local name server, not the forwarder, then it, it sets CD. I mean, it, I, I guess I had never realized, uh, that, a, a bind name server in any configuration would set CD to an up, upstream name server, but it does. Yeah. And, uh, Mark Andrews has reasoning for this, and in fact, there's an active thread right now on uh, the name droppers mailing list. Actually, it's not called name droppers anymore, isn't it? Well, it'll always no. be name droppers. Yeah, it, to us, yeah, to us, yeah. Um, but anyway, there, there, where where people are talking about, you'd think that the meaning of CD and the behavior would be all nailed down. But right. It's interesting how much people can can disagree. Right. Right. Yeah. And if I were paying better attention, it's a massively long thread. I would summarize the position on either side but but mark is sort of finding himself uh 
kind of on one side of an argument and other people on the others. So that might be why if you're seeing something that <laughs> maybe seems curious behavior in bind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't be the first time for Mark, I think. Um, but, but I wonder if there's any chance that that discussion was maybe precipitated by what we found because we brought this up with ISC just a, a few days ago. Oh, uh, no, this has been running for a while. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. It's a couple, three weeks old. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting anyway, and there are a lot of, a lot of, of nuances. You know, there, there don't seem to be that many different degrees of freedom, right? It's like, is DNSSEC enable on or off, and are you using a forwarder or not, and, you know, uh, things like that. And yet there are so many different combinations uh, all told. <laughs> it's difficult to think them all through and to, to figure out, okay, what would you really want the behavior to be in this particular scenario? Yeah, now it's bothering me that I can't remember the specifics. It had something to do with, uh, oh, I'm not even going to try because I can't remember well enough. All right. Well, we'll go on to uh, number nine, and I guess I'm going to have to jump to the next message, right, because he sort of superseded his original number nine with a new number nine. So he says, this is an NSEC question, which may apply to NSEC 3 as well. Imagine the following flow of events. Uh, a stub resolver asks a recursive name server for david.example.com. The recursive name server does its thing and gets an NSEC record from the example.com authoritative name server, which basically states that there are no records between charlie.example.com and jupiter.example.com. The recursive name server finally gives the answer to the stub resolver. Now, another stub resolver then asks the same recursive name server for frank.example.com. Oh, I see where he's going with this. Yep. My question is, does the recursive name server, already knowing that there are no records between charlie.example.com and jupiter.example.com, does it still have to ask the example.com authoritative name server? Uh, and if it does, why? Yeah, the uh, the DNSSEC RFCs, the very latest ones, uh, specifically say you cannot uh, synthesize a negative response from an NSEC record in your cache. That you have to go uh, to the authoritative server and and as usual and and determine if something doesn't exist. Interesting. Uh huh. And I would love to be able to tell you the pros and cons and the discussion back and forth that went on but i don't i don't remember i remember that um that rob ostein uh one of my co-authors on those uh rfcs uh had very strong feelings that you shouldn't be able to do uh negative response synthesis from uh nsec records but i can't remember i can't remember why i can't remember the uh the, the trade-offs why, why that was an issue now uh -huh. it's interesting to <laughs> note that um for DLV, which is uh, DNSSEC, DNSSEC look-aside validation, which is a protocol extension that came out of ISC that, that never went through the IETF standards process and that BIND implements, and I don't know if there are any other servers that actually implement it, but uh, uh, I don't really want to go down the road and explain what DLV is all about, but it's, it's kind of a way to do, the, the look-aside means you would you would literally look at another zone it was a way before uh we had as much of the namespace signed as we do now it was a way to stow your ds record off in another zone and you could tell your recursive name server all right if you don't see a ds record for what you're looking up you know where it should be 
look over here in this other zone and and try to find it over there right uh, and and so you'd have names over there like you know you'd have for a ds record for example.com might be at like example.com dot dlv.isc.org you know if dlv.isc.org were the dlv uh zone and so because of this the, the dlv the the protocol inherently requires all these look aside queries basically on every single query the recursive beam server gets it has to do one of these look aside queries and 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 look for ds records actually they're dlv records which is the same as a ds record except anyway as i said i didn't <laughs> oh it's too late i've gone too far down the road but but the point is this by by uh, by a recursive name server or any dnssec validator implementing this dlv protocol there are all these look aside queries on every single thing you look up so the dlv specification specifically says that it's okay to do a uh, synthesis of negative responses based on nsec records basically as a self-defense mechanism for the recursive name server so that it doesn't have to necessarily send all these queries mm, so that it can it can use what it has in its cache to go oh yeah no that doesn't exist i don't have to i don't have to look over there i don't have to query them again hmm well how do you think we did on our our lightning round well i don't know that it was lightning per se but we did not i mean it was it was nine answers in you know we're running at 25 and a half minutes now so not bad not not bad. Do we want to we want to call this a night? Is this an honest, an honest day's podcasting? I think so. I think so. Yeah. It's be, think and so you're too. heading out soon, right? You're you're uh, off gallivanting the globe starting this weekend. Starting tomorrow night, yes. I fly to uh, Vienna, and, and that's Vienna, Austria, as opposed to Vienna, Virginia. <laughs> you wouldn't have to fly to Vienna. <laughs> I <Virginia>. would not. <laughs> uh, and and there's well the right meeting uh, is being held uh, next week starting Monday but the weekend before on Saturday and Sunday is uh, a combined meeting with DNS ORC mm -hmm. and Center C E N T R Center is the um, an organization for CCTLD operators in particular European CCTLD operators yeah so there's, it, it's going to be two days of DNS presentations and, and stuff and that ORC is having its annual uh, its annual meeting so. Infoblox isn't an ORC member, are you? No, <laughs> we're we, we've become a much bigger um, supporter of ISC, which I'm I'm really pleased about. But uh, we haven't joined ORC yet, but we should. Well, I should maybe sick Wayne on us. Yeah, I'll try and shake the Infoblox tree and see if we can get some uh, get some membership dues to fall out. <laughs> so what is it? Uh, Twenty or thirty bucks a year? Yeah, right. A little more. A little more, but not that much more. All right. For All right. the low, low price of $5,500 a year at the lowest tier, you could be a DNS ORC member and support the fine organization and get a warm feeling inside. Do we get any T-shirts or anything? Uh, no. <sighs> really, what's the point then? But actually, if Infoblox were a member, then I could buttonhole you to try for the ORC board. Oh, Okay. All right. Well, that's that's incentive right there. <laughs> I could be going to Vienna too. There you go. And now then I could just stay in Europe because I have to be there a week after you're there. Yeah, and and then you've just been to what Japan or yeah, I was somewhere in, in Asia. I was in Toronto last week, and then 
uh, on Monday, Tuesday. And then the week before that, I was in Tokyo Monday through Friday. And the week before that, I was in Seattle Thursday and St. Louis Monday, Tuesday. And the week before that, I was in Singapore, Malaysia. Now you're just showing off. So I did I did 30K or 35K in four weeks, I think. But now I'm here for two weeks. Well, one more week. Well, good. Yeah, nice to be around for a little while. And for Halloween, too. Yeah, well, I, I actually will be will be back that afternoon. It's it's so so crazy. I'm going over on a Friday night and coming back on a Monday. Wow, that is yeah. a quick trip. I think I'm setting a new record for myself. Obviously not for, you know, other, other people have done much more insane round trips to Europe. But for me, I think... I think this is a record for fastest turnaround. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a lot of travel for anybody. Yeah. All right. Well, since this is so fascinating to our listeners, <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> we could also um, natter on about the new Neil Stevenson. <laughs> are you reading it? I am. I am. What What do you think? How far into it are you? Oh, I'm <laughs> I'm reading it on on Kindle, so I can only tell you that I'm about twenty percent into it. Ah, okay. The one yeah, thing. This, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say to everybody, this is this is the book. The title looks like Read Me, but it's not Read Me. It's R-E-A-M-D-E. Right, right. Because of a misspelling in a file in the in the book. Right. Which should have been a Read Me file. It's, it's good. It's, um, you know, it's set in the present day. And, of course, a lot of his stuff isn't. And it's, it's present day, you know, <laughs> the universe we all live in as opposed to, you know, some, some parallel universe or distant planet. Uh, it's very good. And what I find myself doing a lot is, you know, reading a, a, a paragraph, reading a passage and just stopping and shaking my head <laughs> because he's such a good writer. Oh yeah. It, it makes yeah. me, it makes me really, um, you know, embarrassed at my own writing. <laughs> And it's uh, it, it's back to uh, it, it. It's really kind of a thriller. Yeah. Well, it it is, but I, I I'm thinking of some of his earlier stuff that that was sort of less science fiction and really just out out and out thrillers. Like there was this book called uh, Cobweb. Mm-hmm. You read that? I haven't read that yet. And and there's a uh, Zodiac. Right. Right. Yeah, the eco thriller sort of thing. Yeah. Both both are both are good and worth worth reading. Yeah. Walt's actually reading uh, Reem D at the same time. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't uh, picked it up, uh, well, I guess it's a 1,000 pages, isn't it? The actual it is. print yeah. copy. So not, not that convenient for for transatlantic travel, but I guess you could stuff it in a large enough carry-on. Well, I did. I took it to Rome last week, mm-hmm. and I'm taking, I've got about 250 pages left, and I've been, I, I, I've been sort of rationing them so that I have some for the plane. Yeah, I do the same thing. I don't make much uh, headway on it when I'm when I'm at home so that I can, you know, I have all this travel to look forward to, so <laughs> I know I'll I'll have plenty of it to read. All right, on that note, you want to take us out of here? Sure. Well, thank you as always for tuning in to the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have questions that you'd like to ask us. Send them to Mr. DNS, that's M R D N S at ask dash mrdns.com and we'll hope to be back to you again in less than two months with uh, another episode bye-bye all right thanks bye-bye